You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. You walk into the room with your pencil in your hand. You see somebody naked and you say, who is that man? You try so hard, but you don't understand just what you will say when you get home. Because something is happening here, but you don't know what it is. Do you, Mr. Jones? Those words open the song A Ballad of a Thin Man by Bob Dylan from the album Highway 61 Revisited, first released in 1965. That's 54 years ago. It could have been written yesterday. Our world is changing at exponential speed, and as it changes, a lot of people feel like Mr. Jones. Something is happening here, but they don't know what it is. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to another opportunity to expand and enrich your world. One of the ways that you can definitely accelerate your growth is by choosing to read more wonderful books. And our sponsor, Audible, offers you a free downloadable audiobook of your choice. You choose from more than 180,000 titles. You get to keep it. And you also get an entire month free of all of Audible service. Go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and choose a form of audio empowerment today. I really value your presence here, your loyalty by listening to this show again and again and I'm going to ask you for a favor. Go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review for this show. One of the easiest ways to do it is to leave a comment about your biggest takeaway from today's episode. And that will help the show to gain more visibility. Then more and more people can have the opportunity like you to enrich their lives. Thank you in advance for doing that. Today's guest is a man who sees what's happening here and gets what it is. He's a technology entrepreneur who calls himself a future crafter. His work with digital technology is helping the world deal with some of its biggest challenges. His most recent venture, Digital Habitats, is Earth's first terraformer. A terraformer modifies the atmosphere, temperature, surface topography, or ecology of a planet. Digital habitats will create fully autonomous, happy cities complete with habitation, infrastructure, and streamlined future world transportation systems. Get ready for an exciting jump into a very promising future with Chris Smedley. Chris, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Thank you, Lewis. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, let's have some fun, my friend. I want to know, first of all, how long have you been fascinated by technology? 
Uh, good question. Probably since before the womb, but it really manifested my entire life. I can't remember a time when I wasn't fascinated by technology. So now you're going to have to explain to our listeners how you were fascinated with technology before the womb, like before you came out. <laughs> well, it's it's really, I think it, it drives on whether you observe as a human being. So that's the curiosity, you know, like Da Vinci would say, the, and be able to experience the world. That's really technology. Nature is technology. It is, but the kind of digital technology that we're talking about today is a totally different animal. Of course. Yeah. So I mean, you know, back in my day, that was probably vacuum tubes. Ah, yes. So what were your first experiences with technology that got you hooked on this? When I was, um, I guess, maybe six or seven, I had a next-door neighbor who worked for IBM, and we used to go over and visit from time to time, and he had one of those, you know, green terminals that we're all so familiar with. And when he was away one weekend, I decided I would disassemble it to see how it worked, and that was a lot of fun with just a handy screwdriver. And, of course, I managed to put it all back together and get it functioning, too, which was the impressive part. And that was what got me off of some sort of punishment. So how did you manage to disassemble a neighbor's equipment when he was away? Did you break into his house? No, we were friendly. And so, you know, I had access there and he encouraged my exploration of things. So as long as I didn't break anything, he was a... A bit of a mentor, to tell you the truth. And so you you put it back together this this terminal, yeah. and it, and it worked, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Now, just wondering, when you were a kid, did you have a childhood dream of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Um, I think that certainly in the era of Apollo, um, many young men and women were encouraged to look to space and space travel and astronauts and that kind of stuff. And I, I was no exception to that. I've always looked up to the stars and had a, an interest in living in other worlds and perhaps as a way of escaping some of the challenges that we've been facing here on Earth. Hmm. That's really interesting, man. You know, because as I hear, listen to you, I, at a very early age, wanted to live in other worlds, but I chose the world of literature and the imagination. That was my conscious escape. Um, and for you and others, it was thoughts about space and perhaps getting off of this planet. Interesting. So my other question is, have you grown up yet? No. No, good. And you, I, I get the feeling that you won't. Well, you know, you have to talk about what the definition of grown up is. And I think that we're finding certainly more nowadays that the idea of propriety and, and conservatism is really not in your own interests for self-development and that too many people hit an inflection point in their life where they go, well, I've pretty much done it all, and then they die. And, you know, the only way that I think you can continually evolve and change yourself is to keep young at heart. Yeah, absolutely. And and to keep the, uh, the imagination, it's like, they talk about having a beginner's mind, which in a way means having the openness of a child always. 
Well, and there's another aspect to this that I think is, is relevant, is the search for meaning. When we're young, uh, the world tells us what life is supposed to be about, and then we should hit a point in maturity where we start to tell ourselves what it's supposed to be about, and that's where you can aspire to greater things than you would have ever imagined as a youth. Yeah, I like that. Now, now did you ever do any other kind of work work that did not involve technology? Oh, yes. You know, going through school and such, I had to do odd jobs and repaired trailers and um, bag groceries, all kinds of regular... Actually, I seem to remember now that I was a cashier at McDonald's for some time, but... Yeah, but those sound like they were transitional jobs. I mean, I've done stuff like working on trucks and things, but I'm talking about any career job that you had that was not in the field of technology. No. No. My, I was always destined to technology. Everything else was a job. Now, a very fascinating thing. You are immersed and knowledgeable about the singularity. Can you explain what the singularity is to our listeners in terms that they can easily understand? Sure. Basically, the singularity is... Uh, was first developed by a fellow named Ray Kurzweil, who's quite famous in terms of his contributions to technology. He's done got like 19 PhDs. You may be familiar with him. He's currently the chief engineer at Google and is developing uh, a mind, an artificial mind, and you see a lot of his output coming in the Google Mail systems. And Ray, in 2005, put out a book called The Singularity is Near, and it was subtitled, When Technology Transcends Biology. And this is basically a manifesto for anybody who's wanting to know uh, what the rate of changes of technology, because he basically had predicted that around 2000, we would be going on an upward slope in terms of the numbers of technologies, the rate of change that they were happening, and this was largely derived from the semiconductor industry and, and how much compute power we've gotten there. But the conclusions are that we've moved from a world where everybody was isolated and had no information to now it's a global community that gets instant information. And as we see more technology being brought on, like AI, that ratio of human minds to machines is only going to favor the machines more. And when you say transcend biology, doesn't that include the idea of man merging with the machine? Yes, it does. So you know, briefly, Ray describes three bridges. The first is, if you want to live forever, take care of your biological body now until there's an opportunity to bridge to cyborg-type thing where we have implants or other procedures, replacement hearts, that kind of thing. And then the last bridge or the last phase is where we have a full and complete merger into one entity. And I've been colloquially calling this homo digitalis. So it's the next step in our evolutionary cycle. Yeah, I, I understand it. I understand the concept. Uh, I, I imagine that for some, hearing it is probably quite scary, especially because... Yeah. Because uh, anything that Hollywood has done in terms of dealing with this has been completely nightmarish and dystopian. Yes, and and there's and Ray actually talks about that. There's a 
a challenge that comes when you're dealing with large numbers of people uh, on whether you appeal to their limbic system and their amygdala or whether or not you appeal to the neocortex and where their rational thought comes from. And as you can see around the world nowadays, the, the media is often used to create dystopic storylines because they believe that getting the viewer or the reader emotionally engaged is a positive thing. But when it comes to fears and, and those anxieties and other kinds of concerns like that, it's best not to stimulate those. And so this is one of the things that I do as I go to organizations and people and discuss how this change can affect them, how they can navigate it, and provide some comfort that is a counterbalance to, you know, Terminator stories and the like. Great. That's, that, that's wonderful. Thanks for explaining that. When did you first learn about the singularity itself? Well, I've been friends with Ray Kurzweil since the early 90s. Um, and there was a group of people then called extropians that were futurists. And uh, out of that process, we had all discussed this, this transformational trend, which is Ray basically encapsulated in the singularity. So um, I'd say it would be in the 90s. And of course, the singularity wasn't coined until 2005. And you enrolled in Singularity University, and when did you do that, and how has that changed your view of life? And maybe you can explain briefly what that is, and who is at the forefront of Singularity University. Yeah, so um, Singularity University was formed in 2008 um, with Ray Kurzweil and Peter Diamandis of Abundance Fame, and um a few other folks, and it was as a. I was actually part of the original founding faculty, rather than being an attendee. I was responsible for the energy portfolio back in those days, and um, we had been doing a number of conferences on the general singularity idea and the notion of creating an organization where that message could be spread to the world. Was inspired by a meeting with Larry Page, where. He basically, he said in no uncertain terms, if you're not changing the world, then what are you doing? And this was a galvanizing discussion for all of us to move from theoretical and predictive areas instead to how do we formulate a message and help humanity transition through this technological era. Once we moved past the idea that it was going to happen, it became uh, beholden on us to try and shepherd people. Ah. Uh -huh. Okay, and that is basically the mandate of Singularity University? Yes, and Singularity University has now educated, I think, some 200,000 people, um, and it continues to this day in cooperation with XPRIZE and a number of other organizations that Peter's related to. And um, the purpose of it is to empower individuals to leverage exponential technology to positively change a billion lives within 10 years. So every graduate of the course, that is their charge. Go out, make a new business, think a big thought, do a moonshot, and try and make a billion lives better. That's beautiful. That is truly a beautiful vision. Now, how have you incorporated what you learn, what you've been learning at SU into your own work? 
Um, I started a number of companies, and as you'd mentioned at the at the top, you know, the biggest one is Digital Habitats because it's basically looking at how can we fix the planet. Um, so this involves looking not only at, at local problems, but taking a global context on that. We've been aligning with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and the $100 trillion that they are putting forward to be able to not only repair the planet, but to address a number of, of frailties and challenges with humanity all before 2030. And so we're encouraged by the movement there because it's now taking the the global wishes of 193 nations and 7 billion people and turning them into actions. So this addresses climate change, hunger, social injustice, and, and a number of other areas. There's 17 goals in total, and I highly recommend people look at them. And where would they look at them? Uh, just United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. It's, okay. You'll find... There's literally millions of people that are, are out there trying to save the planet. And what excites you most? You've all touched on it a bit, but about the vision of the singularity and the work you currently do. If you had to say one thing that excites you the most about it all. That the future can be better than the present or the past. This is a challenge for everyone. You were mentioning at the top about anxiety of change and that's because humans are engineered as animals to be fearful of the future and so most of us run into a rut at some point in our life where the challenges are a little bit too much for us and it's nice to know that uh, there's a, a reality to the idea that our future is going to be better and that if we properly steward our technology, there's no reason why you cannot create any future you can imagine. I believe that, and I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that one of the big challenges is that people are so married to um, recorded history and that tendency in people to feel intelligent when they say, well, history just repeats itself. That's, that's, that, a really, huh? that's, a, that's a really good observation. So if you visualize the, you know, the asotope of the curve for the singularity, you know, curve going up to the sky somewhere around 2050, and you realize that for all of human history up until this century, that, that line of history was basically flat. We did very linear increases in things, which means that it was very easy to put a lot of credence into how things were. But when you're in an exponential situation, as we are now, the past means absolutely nothing, and it means less and less every day you move forward. And this means that you have to do a change in your thinking. You know, the old financial axiom of a past performance doesn't guarantee future results is particularly appropriate here. And you have to instead think, what is the future that I want to create and work your way backwards from the impossible to the present? Mm. I love it, too, because it means to have the courage to redefine and to challenge the word impossible, to challenge it completely. And I think we're going to need a whole new vocabulary. Uh, 
I mean, it's probably coming about gradually. Because uh, I, I see what you're talking about. And I, at a certain level, I really do get that. I also feel the pull that's been, I've been conditioned to with forces that chatter loudly in my head that say, nah, 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 you know, don't buy that. But I know that that's just chatter. You know? Well, there, there's, it's interesting to discuss chatter because one of the challenges that comes out of expanding ourselves technologically is that we uncover what are now over 130 cognitive biases. And what this tells us is that our assumptions about our brain's infallibility and correctness is absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm. And that, that I can illustrate time after time where your organic brain tricks you into making wrong decisions, having wrong attitudes. And then what happens is that the humans talk to other humans and they spread that incorrectness and dysfunction and, and anxiety to others. And then that perpetuates. And this leads to a lot of global angst. So one of the, the big challenges moving forward that technology can address is the uncoupling of listening to humans about what is right. Instead, we can now use our AI databases and get objective information. And this, I believe, will totally change the way that humans interact with each other. And it's already happening. You're finding there's a bifurcation in people in those that are willing to accept new information and and process it and then extend themselves, and those that are not. And this is in and of itself a cognitive bias called dissonance. So there's a lot of people that I'm sure we know. Some of them are generally in the older set where we, we'd say they're, they're stuck in their ways. They believe that, you know, they're cantankerous at times. We all know examples. And now we can see that you know, listening to crazy old grandpa is not the best thing to do if you're trying to live in, in the present or the future. Especially that, especially when he's running a country. Uh, no doubt. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, 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 this, and, and, you know, just to speak on that, this, what is being called in the media, things like populism or whatever term, is being played out on the global stage for the benefit of all humans to understand bad behavior Hmm. and Hmm. have an opportunity to go, well, I don't like that. Here's how I'd like to see my country run. Here's the belief systems that I have. And that ideally this should provide a reinforcement to people as they go forward on what some of those values should be things like human rights and decency and all the civil things that we developed over the past can be reinforced because we see such bad examples. Mm, Yeah, I love that. Now, um, I guess I know the answer to this. I should actually be asking how. How will digital technology and the singularity redefine what we call human? I mean, you touched on it a bit. You said about merging, you know, homo digitalis, but can you paint a picture, uh, a simple picture for people to understand about what we call human now, we won't be calling human in the future. Right. 
Well, let's let's start with some of what it means to be human. There's certain emotional, biological imperatives that uh, you know people who've had children are particularly fond of them, um, and those who don't take that emotional development route are usually chided by the emotional set. And this is why I was saying before, there's a bifurcation going on in humanity. And those that are driven by emotions are going to be facing the largest challenges. And conversely, those that look at objective facts and information and, and deal with the world um, in an pragmatic, logistical way, let's call it a Vulcan way, if we want to use terms. And in fact, the whole Vulcan species and Spock is a perfect uh, movie metaphor for the angst that's happening in all of us. You know, do I think rationally or do I follow emotionally? And so what will humanity lose? We will lose our emotionality. Um, we will lose our cognitive biases because our machinery will correct for those. And a simple way of explaining it that I've been saying for a long time is that if the singularity will allow every one of us to have God powers, then we must correct our brains to have better ethics, better code of conduct, and a more altruistic goal for ourselves and the species than what we currently operate at, which is usually, you know, what's next on TV or that kind of thing. That, that superficiality will cause people to break into different kinds of, of groups, and those groups will evolve at different rates. Yeah. So, you know, the, you know, the question that, becomes, who do you want to be, really, you know? Oh, I know. I get the vision, and I certainly want to align myself with those who will continue to evolve um, into the the beings that we're probably meant to be. And there is a, in me, though, I guess, all right, my, one of my cognitive biases is that I'm hearing you talk, and I get what you're saying. It's not like, oh, my God, this guy's crazy. No, I understand it. I'm on, you're, you're on another, you're on a higher wavelength, but I'm on a similar wavelength. But part of me goes, okay, what about all of those human beings who have never? There are a couple of factors, but I do want to add something about what you said about Les Brown. Um, if you're not familiar with Les Brown and you're listening, I, I highly suggest uh, he was uh, a vital part of my life when I was bedridden for a year. And uh, just listening to him and some of his insights really impacted me. Um, with that said, uh, some of the things that really helped us transform to digital is because we also realized that, you know, we're, one, the physical magazine, it was like where we're printing all these magazines. And it wasn't in alignment with what we wanted to do because obviously even though we were using uh, recycled paper, we felt like it was still not in alignment with our alternative. Yeah, our ecological philosophies of life. <laughs> yeah. And, and part of it was, too, is that we saw this happening, this movement into digital. And for one reason, one night I was doing researches, and I heard about Amazon starting a digital uh, publishing house where they were like Callister magazines, and I didn't know anything about coding. And I literally stayed up for almost two days just trying to figure out how to code this page the way that Amazon wanted it for us to be featured in Amazon. 
and uh, in the it, Kindle. In the Kindle, and I, again, it was like this hijacked moment where I was just in flow. I just, for every sense of my being, I knew that this is what I needed to do, and uh, it just, we were in there in the right time, and then it just kind of, it blew up, and and it just helped us push into this digital format. Yeah, and we started to get subscribers through Amazon, and so we were going, hmm, this is interesting because we're, we're reaching people beyond our local market. And that was also one of the big driving forces. As soon as we saw that we could have people subscribing to our magazine from all over the world, at that point we were hooked because the entire purpose of our business, regardless of what different format we were offering who we are through, which we've, we've probably tried a dozen different ways, um, was always about reaching a broader audience because we feel like people need to hear our message, our message about life purpose and about the, the fact that they have a choice of how they live and that they can master the power of their mind to create the reality and da-da-da-da-da-da. So we just wanted more people to hear our message. And also at the time we had a magazine, so it's all these other writers. We want to help their word be spread around the world. So as soon as we had that seed planted that this was possible and people were actually subscribing to a digital magazine and not to mention the fact that people would subscribe and they'd pay for it. And then the next month we'd get a paycheck and we didn't have to do anything. We didn't have to print anything. So it just kind of showed us that there was also income potential in the digital world. Mm, massive. This is wonderful. And of course, the most important thing that drove you was the recognition that, wow, now instead of reaching a thousand, we can reach a million. Exactly. Gates, so it's, it's just beautiful. Now, in 2015, this dream almost crashed and burned. You want to talk about that? Yes, we went to Costa Rica. Um, and at the time, we would consider ourselves explorers. Uh, so we went into or the adventurers. adventurers. So we went into the jungles of Costa Rica and stayed. And we were, you know, I would see a river, I would jump in it, I would see a fruit, clean it on my shirt and eat it. Uh, came back, and three weeks later, uh, it ex- my blood pressure exploded. I could n- not stop shaking uncontrollably, waking up in the middle of the night. Um, and then I, I figured it was just some bug, and I went back to sleep. An hour later, it happened again. And I went back to sleep. An hour later, it happened again. And then several months later, it was still happening. And that was happening during the day. My body deteriorated. I lost over 30 pounds. I could no longer really swallow. So I was had to eat baby food. And my bo- my blood pressure was all over the place. And my heart rate was all over the place. My body was shutting down. And doctors could not figure out what was happening. So for a year, I was basically bedridden. And, and Natalie was my full-time caretaker. So at the time, we had five different businesses. And everything really started to collapse around us. And so, like he points out, we had five different businesses, and all of them really um, required a lot of our time and attention. So we were speakers and coaches, and we had a book publishing company, and we had our magazine, and we held big conferences and festivals. And um, we actually had just recently, uh, luckily, had already closed a, or not closed, but um, left in the hands of our business partners a a physical center, a holistic office center that we also owned. Um, and so as Joel continued to get worse, we had less and less time. He required around-the-clock care. And ultimately, there was nothing else that mattered other than um, keeping him sustained. So slowly, we stopped doing everything and there was only one little piece of our business that I was able to maintain on my own 
And that was our magazine, the digital magazine, um, because we had recently gone green and officially only offered the digital version. So that was several months before, which, again, the timing of it was uh, quite divine. And so this digital magazine, it only took me a couple days out of the month. Um, I'm my because my original career was marketing and design. I've always been our graphic designer. And so I was the one who did the layout of the magazine. And we had a few staff members that did sales and other functions, but it was something very easy to keep going. And other than the couple days a week that it took me to produce it, um, there was really no effort involved. And so here we were receiving a paycheck every month from this magazine because um, it was ultimately residual income with very little work. And it was the only income that we were able to continue to receive from our businesses. And so we were, it wasn't actually enough, by the way. We, it was, we were definitely in the, the red every month, but Somehow, miraculously, um, the most bizarre ways of receiving income or even items that we could sell for income would come to our lives. So we were always taken care of every month. But th but without that foundation, we would have ultimately, you know, lost our home, ended up in bankruptcy. Um, and so we, we received the loud and clear message about you know, passive income, residual income and how important it is because it literally saved our lives. Oh, yeah. I get it. I mean, uh, I met many, many people that uh, understand residual income at that level of, yeah, it saved their lives. That's powerful. Now, how did that scary event help you to grow eventually and to actually thrive? Well, I would first say that from the outside world, it was a terrifying, horrific situation. But for us, it was a story that we told ourselves about the situation. We decided to reframe and call it a sabbatical. So what we did was that we put pictures on our ceilings of everything that we would do once I got better on our walls, you know. So it was, and we would go on dates, we would hold hands and like visualize ourselves experiencing this and, and really feeling it. We would laugh, we would have these conversations, even though I couldn't get out of the bed um, and it didn't seem ever possible. But it was almost like we created that space and we really deep dive into learning about online course. At the time, we had also published an online course before I got sick and we had some passive income from that. And we're like, we need to create more of that. And we also need, to, I was thinking to myself, listening to uh, Les Brown, it's like, what is my legacy? What if I died today? You know, what do I leave behind? You know, I spent 10 years of my life studying and uh, trying to contribute to the life of others. But all that dies with me. You know, and I wanted to leave a legacy. So for me, video recording, the knowledge that I had learned would, was that way of contributing and making a difference and at the same time making passive income. So we really dove into that. And as I got better, we started recording like a video here or there. And then I would go back in fetal position for the rest of the day. But it kind of snowballed as I continued to improve after a year. They found some antibiotics that worked. And it slowly started to snowball, and we started to see feedback, started to see people enrolling and creating that passive income. And so before he got sick, like I had mentioned, uh, a lot of what we were doing was speaking, and we held a lot of workshops, um, and we were doing a lot of writing. And so we had all of this content, and we could no longer hold our workshops. We also um, have a life coaching background, and we used to train coaches, and we couldn't hold those trainings anymore. We couldn't coach our clients anymore. And so we realized because of Joelle's 
time he had on his hands that he deep dove into learning more about, okay, how does this online course thing really work? Um, it's like, we have a lot of content we're sitting on. Why don't we turn it into a course? And so all of that material came from everything we were already doing. Um, and over that next year after he um, finally got some antibiotics that kind of pushed his body in the right direction, um, he was extremely weak. He'd lost all of his muscle mass. Um, he couldn't digest food properly. So it took a whole other year to really get his body back on track, but he was doing well enough that we were able to record ourselves um, doing the same content, teaching our workshops, but in a video format. And like you said, it's like we, we put some courses out there and they started to sell and we're saying, wow, this this works. This is pretty cool. And so we just kept going through the treasure trove of content we already had and continuing to make courses and courses. I think in that in that first year, we probably made 10 courses or so. Um, and we just kept putting out the content. And it was wonderful because all of a sudden, we're reaching people again all over the world. We're having, we're getting feedback from people that live on the other side of the world talking about how our content changed their lives. And it again was that affirmation on both, on both fronts. One that, that the message is going through loud and clear and there's people all over the world that need to hear it and are, are, you know, bringing into their lives and using it. And then at the same time, it was also the confirmation that passive income is possible and that if we focus on on creating this these courses, every time we create one months and months later, they're still selling. Um, and so we, we, we all actually got to a point where we realized that co- courses are sort of like real estate where instead of investing money in buying a property that you're going to rent out and you might get some passive income from it, that we could create a course and that course would ultimately create the same type of income um, but without having the financial investment, which at the time was fantastic because of the situation where we started from. Um, and so we were hooked and we just continued to uh, plug away at it and we haven't looked back since. Oh, I love it. And can you uh, enlighten our listeners with this? Um, how did you get in front of the people that would eventually buy your courses? Because we know people can have great content, but if it's not found, it ain't going to sell. Well, what we did is that we went to places where our market was already at. So one, we started putting it in marketplaces like Udemy and uh, other marketplaces. I think Udemy is probably the biggest one at the time, and it still is. And then we started also creating our own platform and we started going to forums and and chats and different places and groups that were resonating with the kind of information that we had, that we're already looking for it. So we would give feedback, discuss it, share video. Um, So one advice I would give to everyone is that go in front of the audience that you're looking for, wherever that might be. And for us, you know, Udemy played a vital role in that because they already had our audience to a certain degree, so they were able to find it. But again, we also did a lot of legwork where we went into like chat rooms, groups, and different places where people were already looking for that information. And it's actually something that um, we teach because a lot of the content we create is for entrepreneurs. And we've always, always, always relied on atypical marketing strategies. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't do traditional advertising or marketing of any kind, but what has ultimately worked, and especially for the courses, but with everything we've ever done, has been find either a person or a company or an organization of some sort or even um, a location that already has the people that you want 
to be working with that are your ideal clients and go there. So go, what we used to do before Joel got sick is we would speak in front of the audiences that were the ideal clients for, whether it's our coaching packages or our other workshops um, or whatever it is that we were selling at the time. So we would speak in front of them. That's one of the best possible ways of getting in front of the right, right audience. But we could no longer do that. And so we had to find groups of people online. And what's amazing is that if you know who your target audience is, it's actually quite easy to determine where are they already doing business? Who are they already following? What types of online groups or forums are they already in? Or in the local market, are they part of an association? Are they part of a group? Do they tend to go to a certain store? There's so many ways that you can connect to them and that that has been the secret to success for us always but especially with courses is knowing your market and going directly to where they are and add value to their life and right i'm just going to say yes I just, you don't just go there and start pitching you go there and, add, <laughs> and you, you go there first and give value correct yes. yes and i think that the biggest difference for us is that we're not driven by money we're driven by legacy and contribution and i think that if you approach life that way and I'm not saying money isn't important and, and money comes and obviously you should have a vision of what you want to attract to your life and what you want to create. But I think that contribution comes first. And if you focus on giving value to other people and blessing the community, the community will bless you back because I think that it's an exchange of energy. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. That is, that is quite wonderful. And when you started telling your story, Joel, about um, getting sick and reframing that while you were ill, what I was going to say to the listeners is we've just experienced what Alex Mendozian likes to call a backpack moment. And what that is, is you get an aha, you hear something that basically you could put your backpack on and leave this event right now, and you would have gotten your money's worth. Because remember, what we're learning is about changing your story to change your life. So he was lying in bed, and he was very sick. He could have just focused on, oh, my God, I'm going to die. That would have been his story. He didn't. This is powerful. Thank you, you, Lewis. You ever heard that before, backpack moment? Only from you. (laughs) I heard you mention it in other episodes. So. Well, I, I learned it live at, at one of Alex Mendozian's events. He actually told us at the beginning. He said, whenever you get a backpack moment, raise your hand. And people would just do it. We just had a backpack moment. It's fantastic. I mean, it's just like, wow, that's it. That's, I don't even have to stay anymore. Good if you, you know. It's like, okay, now you can go home. <laughs> so now if you guys are multitasking, you want to go play a video game, go ahead. You know, you're going to miss the rest of these yeah, we're gems. Done here. But, uh, you know, we're still going to be here a little bit, you know. <laughs> so. What I think that's so vital um, for you to be able, because the same thing happened, for example, my brother passed away. Um, it was such an impactful part of my life. I had failed college at the time. And I said, what purpose do I have now? You know, and I, what meaning can I derive out of this? And that made me go back to school at that time. And it made, gave me a, a, a drive that I didn't have before. It changed the affirmation that I have that I was dumb. I wasn't smart enough to, Joel, you're a genius. And Joel, you can do this. And all these different things. And it really helped me go through school because I had this bigger vision of creating a center for him. I also want to say that during that time, my sabbatical, I also had a lot of time to think about my life. 
and about my own limited belief system, whether it was the limiting belief systems about money, that I had to work so hard to create money, that everything had to be challenging. At the time, we had five different businesses. Uh, everything was challenging because we were doing so many things. We didn't have balance in life. I started to look at some of the questions that you asked, for example, in episode 187, where you started looking at, uh, do you like yourself? And really reflecting on the fact that I couldn't even take compliments from other people. You know, I would uh, kind of sidetrack and, and say something else nice about them. And I, and I love the fact that you talk about that in that episode. And I think that's valuable for people who are listening. If you haven't heard it, you know, check that episode number 187. Because for me, it was almost like a rebirth of who I was at my core. The stories that I had been telling myself, my limiting belief systems, everything. I had an opportunity to just scrape them off and just redefine who I wanted to be and the life that I wanted to create. Oh, and I'm just going to add there yeah. that that it really was it was a an identity shift for us both as individuals and the way that we saw our business and our life because we were truly burning out. And when, he wasn't joking when he says it's like okay, well, if doing this and working hard makes money and you're not making enough that means you have to do more of it in order to bring in more so it, that was ultimately the philosophy of our business and then at a personal level it was that that you know this accomplishment was all that mattered and we had lost sight of really who we were and we were just burnt out but what's so interesting a lot of people are surprised by that that we can both say we we found happiness during this this situation for the first time in our lives, we've truly found happiness because we we ultimately had to take our own medicine. Here we were, you know, people who taught personal development, um, and but we had to apply it at a whole other level than we had ever had to do it before. And and we found a way to be able to be in a state of joy and gratitude and appreciation, even in the worst possible scenarios, even when we're in the hospital and Joelle's body is having a fit, and we're sitting there smiling and giggling, and the doctors think that were completely mental but the truth is that we just realized that the only way to be happy is to choose to be and that that if anything like you said that was our backpack moment that we didn't have to have the struggle we didn't have to experience the suffering it was a choice and that if it was all worth it just for that realization mm, that's again that's very powerful another backpack moment guys you're getting a lot of them here you know what? I think I'm going to charge for this episode. <laughs> I'm going to put the, uh, uh, the the limitation on it. If you don't listen to it in the first week, it's going to cost you $297. <laughs> there it is. A little scarcity. Um, <laughs> I'm pausing for a second because I want to jump around a bit here. Let's see. What would you? Th what do you think are the consequences for people if they don't embrace digital technology? They just keep resisting it. Well, if you look at the McKenzie report and some of the other reports from like Harvard, by 2030, 30 to 50 percent of jobs will be displaced because of automation, because of AI, because of robotics. Uh, it's coming. It's it's real. It's here. Um, and I think most people don't realize how advanced it is, and. I think that you have to embrace a different economy. And this is an exciting economy, an economy that you can create passive income. For example, we have a, a colleague that she teaches how to bake bread. And she started doing it because of pain in her own life and some struggles that she had. She's not a professional baker. 
and she started making our courses about specific breads. And last year, she brought in three hundred thousand um, dollars. So I think that we are gonna we are in the uh, cusp of this revolution of the job market, and you have to embrace the new economy because, like you mentioned before, I think that your intro to this podcast was brilliant uh, because you're either going to die with the dinosaurs or you're going to thrive. And this is a big opportunity to not only make a, create a legacy, make an impact around the world, but also embrace that you have something so beautiful to give and that you can create abundance through giving that thing that you have. Yeah, the new economy opens up all of the doors to be able to, it doesn't matter what it is that you love or what you're an expert in or what skill you have, that you can use that one way or another to generate an income for yourself. And the opportunities for that are going to continue to expand. And, of course, because we are in the online course world, we're always trying to convince people, hey, if you have anything possibly that anyone would want to learn, you should be teaching it online. But there's so many other ways to do it. One of the fields that's going to grow, also we work with a lot of life coaches. We teach people how to be life coaches or consultants based on their expertise. And that that is going to be an industry that's going to explode. So while there's a lot of industries that are going to be disrupted with this new economy, service-based industries are going to increase dramatically, especially the heart-centered kind, where you're trying to you know, help people at a personal level, that that type of service is going to explode. Education is going to explode. Because of those people being displaced, they're going to need to learn a new skill or a new trade or how to use their skills in a different way, people are going to need to start reassessing their identity. And a lot of people's identity are wrapped up in their career. But if their career or their industry changes, the beautiful thing, and this is the part I like talking about, it's not just that there's opportunity and that technology is part of what brings it there. It's that this entire shift that's going to happen, the bigger picture, that, that bigger story that you were saying is always there, is that because our our expectations of what life's supposed to look like and what a career is supposed to be and what our identity is based around is going to shift so dramatically. It's going to have us all look within. It's going to push humanity, even those stubborn ones that are still like the dinosaurs, are going to have to reflect. They're going to have to spend more time with themselves. If they're unemployed or underemployed, they're going to have more free time. They're going to have that time to be thinking and asking life's greatest questions, it's going to lead to an awakening of humanity. And so that's the promised land that I see coming. And so to answer your question that the technology is part of it, pay attention to what's happening, but even more so just be open to the fact that change is okay and it, in fact it's it's wonderful and that the future for humanity is better than anything we've ever seen before. I totally agree with you. I mean, uh, and... Um I would add to that uh, really what I learned from T. Harv Eker, all pain comes from resistance. All pain comes from resistance. So the moment you stop resisting it and realize technology is my friend, and so what if my career disappears? You can say, what do you mean? Well, so what if it disappears? Because you don't have to go to school anymore and pay for a higher education what do you love to do, and how can you get it into the hands of the people who would also love to do it and appreciate what you're offering them? And then you could study with Joel and Natalie, and they'll show you exactly how to do that. 
it's just a beautiful thing. By the way, uh, Joel, thank you for uh, your compliment, and I do receive compliments now. I, I had to practice that, but uh, when you said that, that my opening was brilliant, I, I want to give credit that that opening is from Peter Diamandis's book, Bold, How to Go Big, Create Wealth, and Impact the World. I just changed a few of the words. That was it. But I just, I love what you guys just contributed. When I love that Peter Diamantis talks about the rising billion, um, because I think it's in the next five years or less than that. When it keeps changing how many, but I think it's it's multiple billion now. Yeah, it's growing exponentially that you're going to have over a billion people hopping online. And the first thing that they look for is education. Actually, education by 2030 is going to increase by 150%. Only 30% of our students are from the United States. Well, I love that you said that because what I would add, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, when Joel says education, if anybody has the story in their head, well, I'm not a teacher, yes, you are. We're not talking about a, the old vision of a teacher who has a labels after their name, PhD, MA, etc. No. If you have something that you understand and love and can communicate that to somebody You're a teacher. Am I correct? That's correct. We all have experiences in our lives that we've been through, uh, challenges that we've overcome that we can teach people, a skill set, a passion. It it doesn't have to be. I come from an academic background. Some of the things that I teach are non-academic. And most of the people that I see are thriving in this industry are non-academic courses because our educational system is being revolutionized right now. It's being democratized right now where people just want to learn something new. So if you're good at just, uh, for example, like baking, like I mentioned before, you can touch people all over the world and people can follow your passion. If you're good at knitting, you can make over six figures, if not much more, teaching people how to knit. So whatever passion you have, whatever drive you have, whatever challenge you've overcome, whether it's a divorce and you want to teach people how to overcome their divorce of what you learn, there's people out there hungry to learn from it. And that's what, what, what we love about it. Um, we're advocates for the democratization of education. So it's a big word, but that ultimately all it means is that worldwide we are no longer limited only to receive advanced education through an academic institution, which at this point not only are they way overpriced um, and are they old news because most of what they're teaching is old, what we need now is access directly to the people who are experts in their specific topics. So these are people who work in a specific field. Like you can learn in your own career from someone who's been in it for 20 years that can save you 20 years of learning just by them teaching you what they know. Um, You can go direct to the source instead of having to go through some professor at a university that's going to teach you from a textbook that's based on old information. So not only can you work with any person that you want to, whether you're the teacher or the learner, but you also get access to new information, the most relevant, whatever is happening right now. By the time some new technology comes out within a week, there's someone who creates a course on how to use it. So um, it's we're really helping people shift away from their expectation that education means through a school because now it's education is available anywhere from anyone in the world at any time on any topic. What I love about that is, too, that some of the people listening should recognize that they could be the ones teaching the professors because the professors are basically institutions that are dinosaurs, and they're going to have to reinvent or disappear. 
And that's correct. That's true. They're, they're those those people. Listen, I know a kid who's an online marketer who was from the hood who did jail time, and he said to me the other day, "It blows my mind that some of my clients are medical doctors, lawyers, right? I mean, it's <laughs> he's teaching them right now how to advance their businesses." He doesn't well, know you can learn anything from anyone, that's and that's right. really that's that right. you know that whether it's the homeless person on the corner or the the dean of a big university, each one of those people has something unique that they could teach you if you're willing to look. Absolutely, and your ability really to to connect to people. For example, we have uh, a group of ladies that bought one of our courses in the Philippines, and then they're sending us pictures of how they're implementing it in the Philippines. And they bought the course for, I think it was like $15, uh, that particular course. But for them, you know, $15 is a lot of money. So everyone, you know, these five ladies gave some money and they bought it. And it's beautiful to see. We had somebody in Syria that contacted us. I said, you know, everything that's happening here, war-torn country, I took your happiness courses. I want to implement that happiness in my community. So it's the reality that you can plant seeds all over the world, make a difference, and at the same time, be very successful economically. Uh, for example, I was a, a college professor, and through online courses, I can make the same thing that I made in a year, one month, just through passive income through online courses. And, and, and I'm making bigger impact than I was before. And, Joel, here's what's important. I taught in university, and here's the beauty of it. Now you don't have to deal with the toxic environment of the bureaucracy of the university. That's correct. <laughs> no, listen. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can say that because I've worked in three of them, and I know that wherever you have a bureaucracy, it's the same poison. It is poison, and it's also a giant limitation because all it does is slows down people's access to what they need. Mm -hmm. And actually, that's one of the, the biggest points that we, that we want to point out, not just because people can be teaching and making a business out of this, but if you have no interest in doing anything like that, you can also be a, a student. And that one of the things that is unfortunate is that because of the way our, our academic system um, ultimately turns people off from learning that that statistically almost nobody even reads a book after they finish college. And only, you know, a few percentage of people who buy a book or buy an online course actually read it or take the course um, because we're, we're not trained to be lifelong learners. But the people who are lifelong learners, like our students, they're, they're like rabid for it. We have people who've enrolled in dozens of our courses, if not all of them, uh, because they're, they're addicted to learning. And I think that, that, one of the things that people need to hear is that if you want this this vision that we're painting of this beautiful future and you don't want to be one of the dinosaurs and and you want to experience the beauty that's coming, the number one thing that you have to learn how to do other than deal with uncertainty is you have to learn how to learn. Um, and really it comes down to having a growth mindset that the belief system that says, I might not know how to do this, but I can learn how, or I might not be good at this, but I can get better, or I don't know, um, for instance, how to make an online course and teach what I know, but there's people out there like Joel and Natalie that teach you how to do that, and I can do the research and find the resources and just become resourceful, because if people who stay in a fixed mindset that say, I just am who I am, 
life has always been this way. It should continue to be the same way. Why would we change it if it was working before? I don't like this new technology. I don't want to have to change who I am. I like who I am. And I, I'm an old dog. I can't learn new tricks. And I, you know, this is just who I am. I, I'm not capable of changing. That mindset is going to be what ultimately holds people back. So if you're open, if you think about growth, if you're willing to learn, then you can ride this wave that's coming. And I would say, Lou, is that your audience is that. Because obviously what you're providing is that space to really help people change their story and change their lives. So if if you're listening right now, you are that person. That's At your core, that's who you are. That's wonderful. By the way, that $15 course you spoke, was that on, you, on Udemy? Yeah, the one with the women from the yeah. Philippines. Okay. Yeah. It was it was one of our courses on Udemy. Right. Um, and we actually we we love we love your podcast because ultimately at the core of everything that we teach, we're always trying to tell people that it's it's their story that creates their life. Um, in fact, that's one of our favorite quotes is by Anthony Robbins. Um, and he says that it's our decision that determines our destiny, but that decision comes from whatever story we're telling. So it's like the story is the precursor to the decision. Well, whatever we have going on in our mind and our belief systems is what causes us to make the decisions we make in life, and then that's what creates our life. And so even though sometimes we use different wording, we're constantly um, pushing that message, even though we might say you know, something more about your thoughts or your beliefs, it really comes down to how do we put it together as a story. Um. I absolutely am um, in total alignment with that. And one of the things that you made me think of here is that uh, the book I mentioned to you before is really relevant for me to mention right now for everybody. It's The Big Leap. Because as much as I understand about story and its influence on our lives and how it shapes our lives, I started reading this book and, oh boy, it's going to take you to a whole other level. It's the big leap, and the the author is Gay Hendricks, H E N D R I C K S. Okay, now I would like to know what each of your favorite books is. One each. Um, for me, I'm going to rewind one of the books that really made an impact in my life. Uh, uh, when I was first starting this transformational process was Viktor Frankl's uh, A Man's Search for Meaning. And I, I know one of his quotes is uh, that everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last human freedom is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And for me, that book was so impactful because at the time I had lost my brother, I found myself you know, in a, in a darker place, and I was looking at their journey of Holocaust survivors and being in these concentration camps. And the fact that even in that dire worst case situation, they could find joy. They can find happiness. They can find how they can contribute to the life of each other. And that really set the foundation in my life to, to really be able to reframe my journey and my story that I was telling myself in every circumstance and to make the best out of every challenge. Thank and you. so. Go ahead, yeah. Thank you for that. I, that is a very important book. Yes, and yes. Go ahead, Natalie. And actually, I, I recently uh, reread Viktor Frankl's book, um, and it's interesting how much, at a deeper level, I understood it. You know, now that I'm approaching forty, versus when I read it for the first time when I was 
um, ultimately still a teenager. So um, I would say that that for me, because my life is put together, two pieces of the puzzle being personal development and entrepreneurship, I have two books. Um, and the first, my personal development side um, was really triggered by Eckhart Tolle and The Power of Now, which I read when I was very young. I think I was 18 or 19. Um, and I think his way of presenting what a lot of people might consider woo-woo content is actually quite digestible. Um, and it really, really trained me. I actually listened to the audio version of it a couple dozen times over about a five-year period. So I basically got programmed into my brain. And it really set the foundation of me understanding exactly what we're talking about here, which is that our thoughts are what create a reality and that we are not our thoughts, which is the key thing most people don't understand, and that we can calm ourselves and then be able to take back control of that you know, crazy little hamster that runs on the wheel in our head. And it really imprinted on me, and, and so I've always carried that with me uh, for the last 20 years. And then on a business level, I read a bazillion different business books, but the one that really, really kind of pushed me to finally embrace that the only thing I was truly afraid of was being trapped living in a cell, um, I mean, uh, office. <laughs> and that was the four-hour work week, which I think is so funny because, like, so many people say it. It's almost cliche at this point. But I, I just un I understood that I have control over my life and my time by reading that book. Well, if anybody says that book is cliche, my question to them is, how many hours a week do you work? <laughs> and how many hours of your week do you really feel free? Yep. You know, because I don't think they're going to come up to, uh, with a very big number on each. That's for most people. Those are wonderful, wonderful books. And do you have any quotes that stand out for you? Um, actually, we we uh, had a couple of favorites, and we, we already said them. I definitely, um, there's so many that I would say, especially from Victor Frankl, that just looking up his quotes and remembering when you're reading them, that he was in the middle of a concentration camp while he was having these thoughts. Um, I just think it, it puts life in perspective. And that's really, it was his story that he told of himself. that, And the recognition that no matter what was happening around him, that he had the ability to choose his perspective, or what he called his attitude. And that it is really hard to do that. You know, we're not saying that, while the, in the midst of Joel's illness that we were um, constantly in this great state of happiness, we, we had to cultivate it. We had to choose it. And it was, it was because of learning the things that people like Viktor Frankl taught um, and having the perspective of saying, you know, if he can find hope, then so can we. And I would say one of my favorite quotes is by Les Brown, which uh, he has so many quotes as well, so if you want to look him up. But it's really that... Your dream was given to you. If someone else can't see it for you, that's fine. It was given to you and not them. It is your dream. Hold it. Nourish it. Cultivate it. And for me, there's so much insights that he can share about really owning your path, your story, your journey. And actually, I'm going to add to that because another Les Brown quote that I love um, and I'm going to butcher this because it's a long one. I'm not going to say the whole thing, but that he ultimately says to imagine yourself on your deathbed 
and you're surrounded by the ghosts of all the dreams that you never fulfilled. All of the talents you never used, all of the desires you never fulfilled, all of the things you wanted to say that you never said. And they're staring at you with, like, and he says, angry eyes. Because because of you, they're never going to get to come into this world because you didn't bring them forward. And, and that, even though it sounds kind of, you know, dark, but I just, I, it's like a wake-up call. And that was one of the, the things that we used to listen to a lot when Joel was sick, is that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that we don't. We don't want to get to the end of our life and be filled with regret. And I think that that's the only, the only fear ultimately I have in life. It's not living life fully. And it, it drives me crazy if I feel like I'm, I'm stagnant or things aren't moving forward quickly. Um, it drives me crazy because I know that there's so much. It's like we have one life. I mean, someone might debate that at a philosophical level or a religious level, but we have one life that we get to know and experience right now. And it's only one and it's, it's finite. We don't know how long it's going to be. So, so we should be running like fire to try to get it all in. Um, and so that's really the philosophy we live by. Beautiful. And if you could change just one thing in the world, what would it be? It is just one, just a brief statement on that. I would change people's perception about what's possible. Hmm. You don't even have to say anymore because yeah. you've already your whole converse, the whole conversation today has been about that. That's beautiful. And how about you, uh, Natalie? Um, I would just say it in a different way, and it's I would I would again change what's in the mind of people for them to change the way they see themselves. Hmm. So it's not just what's possible in some future sense. It's their perspective of themselves and ultimately not just that they see themselves in a positive light, but that they see that they're the ones that are in control of their own destiny. Beautiful. How can people contact you? Um, so the best spot to check out, which we can you know, put our information and in anything that we discussed in this um, interview, is Online Course Revolution dot com slash change because that is after all what this entire conversation is about online course revolution dot com forward slash change correct beautiful and any final thoughts for the storytellers today well my last thought is to remember again that life is happening for you and that you always have the opportunity to choose what you do with what's presented in your life. You have the opportunity to perceive it the way that you want to. You can see things as something negative or you can see it as an opportunity. You can see it as a challenge or you can see it as an opportunity for growth that you can create whatever life that you want. All you have to do is be clear of what you want. I think that that's where some people have the challenge that they're not clear enough. And once you have clarity of what you want to create, put it around you, put it in your wall, put pictures, put statements, anything that will help remind you of that vision that you want to create and visualize it. Take some time to really see it in your mind, because if you can see it in your mind, you can create it in your reality. And I would add to that, that the reason why people aren't clear is because they don't give their permission to want what they really want, because they're listening to all the limitations that everybody else has placed on them. And so... One of the things that I love to remind people of, specifically related to their story, is that 
sometimes there's things that happen in our lives that we don't have control of. Even at some level, we did influence it. There are things that we just can't explain. Terrible things can happen. Pe- we can lose people in our lives. Our, the economy can change around us. But whatever it is that's happening around us, it doesn't, it doesn't completely matter because we still have a choice even within that situation. So I always remember, remind people that they're the ones that are holding the pen to write their story and that in a lot of cases, the problems that they're having in their life is because they're allowing other people to take that pen and write with it. So take back the pen from whoever else that you're allowing to write into your story and take it back and own it and claim it. And that remember that no matter what's happening around you, you still get to write your attitude, you get to write your reaction, you get to write your perspective, you get to write your hope and your dreams of the future, and you can even be writing the the next chapters just in your imagination, and life will eventually line up with whatever you create, but only if you're the one who's writing it and you're not allowing everyone else's opinions to be forcing your hand. That is so 180% true, and I'm going to add to that, that If you get the big leap, what you'll discover is that the moment you start saying the things that Natalie already believes in her heart to yourself, that you're going to get talk back from your monkey mind that's going to tell you, nah, this is really just hokey, it's woo-woo, it's new age stuff. And the book will show you how to jump over the hurdles of the talkback so that you can step into the truth that she's talking about, that Joelle is talking about. Uh, I can't thank you enough, but you guys have created um, a ripple here that is going to start very gently, but I think will turn into a tsunami when it hits people. Thank you. Well, thank you, Lewis, for uh, having us on. It- we really, truly are honored, and uh, we thank you for what you do to plant seeds of change for people, I'm sure, all over the world as well, and for creating that space for growth and really helping people uh, look at their story, change their story, and really dedicating your time and really committing yourself to, to, to allowing this to happen for other people and giving us the space to share our story. So thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Yes, and absolutely we are 100% behind what you're doing and we love all of the guests um, and just want to point out that it's it's not just about people telling their stories, but that you're a great storyteller. We love listening to you um, and so you're bringing your own expertise of story from the other angle um, into it and we just we love the dynamic of it and we are just blessed to be able to have a platform like this to share our story. Thank you so much. And by all means, let people know about the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, storytellers, for being part of this experience today. Enrich others by letting them know that they can hear this too on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. At the website, you will find a free gift that I've created for you, a downloadable ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. You can get instant access to it right now by going to changeyourstorypodcast.com and downloading your free copy. 
also take advantage of the gift that our sponsor, Audible, is offering to the listeners of this show. That is a free audiobook of your choice, and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. In the spirit of giving, I'm going to ask you to give me a few more moments of your time by going to iTunes and in the podcast category, Finding Change Your Story, Change Your Life. And where you see that you can leave a brief review and a star rating, in the review, just state what your biggest takeaway was from today's episode. And I hope that I've earned a five-star rating from you. When you do that, you're telling iTunes to allow the show to climb the ranks. Then more people will find it and be able to enjoy it. If you haven't already subscribed to the show and you're getting value from it, then subscribe while you're visiting iTunes. One final thought. Whenever you find yourself facing a decision that's hard to make, stop. Don't let your mind work hard. Just take a deep breath and then ask, how can I change my story and change my life? Then pause for a moment and allow the answer to come to you. I look forward to sharing another enriching experience with you on the next episode. Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.